0: The word of the Lord from Isaiah 45, 1 to 7. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue nations before him, and to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him, that gates may not be closed, I will go before you and level the exalted places." I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hoards in secret places that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by name. For the sake of my servant Jacob and for Israel my chosen, I call you by your name. I name you, though you do not know me. And I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me. The people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord. There is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. The text for our Gospel Proclamation comes from the Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 45, and serves as the basis of our theme for the 21st Sunday after Pentecost, writing his truth. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I have given up on new movies for the special effects. I mean, with computer graphic interface, smoke and mirrors, special effects and computer enhancements to actors' faces and bodies, I guess I simply don't believe what I'm seeing anymore. I know, oh, how I know. None of what you see in movies is real. That's the point. We escape our real lives and get to transport ourselves to someplace different for just a few hours and suspend our disbelief. So, don't get me wrong. I am all for that. But, the movies that come out today have ruined that for me. And now, with the advent of artificial intelligence, much is visibly artificial and lacking basic intelligence. So, I've been going back and watching... The old movies. Movies like Gone with the Wind, where thousands of extras had to be hired for the brutal post-battle scenes of wounded lying all over the town and hundreds if not thousands of real people tending to the wounded, moving military surplus, and teams of actual mules and horses weaving through the whole fly-buzzing mess. Or movies like Cleopatra, where the actress Elizabeth Taylor enters Rome with thousands watching amid majestic buildings constructed around them, setting the scene, and then Cleopatra is carried on a massive ebony throne of the Sphinx. Or any of the Louis B. Meyer and Cecil B. DeMille epic Bible movies, Ben-Hur and the Roman Chariot Races, Charlton Heston as Moses with tens of thousands walking through the desert and the like. It's breathtaking, awesome, and for the most part, real people, real animals, real constructed edifices that are projected on silver screens to our utter amazement. And with all this that has happened in movie making, especially with the biblical epics. It got me wondering this week as I worked through Isaiah's prophecy. Where is the epic about Cyrus the Great? I mean, the theologian August Pieper said of him, Israel's deliverance and glorification accomplished by Cyrus is a summons to the entire world to seek salvation in the Lord who alone is true God. Cyrus In our text today is not a simpleton used by God according to the text. In fact, he embodies the strength of the one true God to defeat the Babylonians and set God's people free and even subsequently finance their repatriation to Jerusalem from whence they were previously taken from to captivity in Babylon. You cannot understate how important this was to the people of God. Cyrus was a redeemer and a savior for God's people. And this text prophesies him by name 130 years before anyone even knew who he was. We imagine studying this text this week, that maybe Ezekiel or Daniel, the prophets in captivity, even told Cyrus that he was prophesied to redeem them. And maybe that even led him to be confident enough to challenge the mighty Babylonians. We also know from history that Isaiah prophesied the gates and doors to Babylon being opened. And they were. In fact, the historical record reflects that Cyrus used amazing combat engineering techniques to reroute the Gindus River, making it easier to cross, and defeated the Babylonian army near Opus. And then the people of Babylon opened the gates and doors to the city for him and welcomed him with a celebration as King Nabonidus had already fled, giving Cyrus control from the Mediterranean in the east to the Indus River Valley. With all he did for the Jews, with God, the king of the universe, giving him his strength to conquer the impenetrable gates of Babylon by having the people open them from inside, and with one source even calling him the Messiah 500 years before Christ, you would think he would get his own epic movie. Where was Louis B. Meyer on this one? Why couldn't Cecil B. DeMille get this done? After all, without the repatriation of the Jews, as Isaiah prophesied, there would be no Jerusalem and there would be no setting for the salvation of the world. He's just that important. I mean, Aside from the Iranians doing a few low-grade B-level movies in Farsi, <laughs> there is nothing. With the latest TikTok trend of men thinking about the Roman Empire at least once a day, you would think there would be some headspace for the greatest great king there ever was, respected and glorified even by Alexander the Great himself. I think we can all agree, this movie needs to be made. But, as I got to thinking about it this week, there may be a reason why this movie was never made. And I'm not suggesting that it would be just a propaganda film for the Iranians. I don't think it's because we don't have enough history to make it factual enough to be realistic. Nor do I believe it would not play well in the West being that it is mainly Eastern culture. No, I think it has to do with the words that John the Baptist uses when he ushers in Jesus' ministry, basically using Isaiah's prophecy to make his own prophecy of Christ. I think it has to do with the gates of Jerusalem being open to Christ with crowds cheering his arrival as he rode into the city on a donkey. I think it has to do with the fact that this prophecy, while it certainly ushered in Cyrus' kingdom, and he was certainly God's shepherd from Isaiah 44:28, 28, it was always really about the eternal good shepherd, in Christ, It wasn't about a great king five centuries before Christ. It was about the true king of kings. And what's cool is he got a movie. In fact, he got lots of movies that we still quote, watch, and revisit on the highest of holy seasons our God has to offer. But those movies aren't the reason for his existence. It's just further proof he existed and always will through the word and the sacraments we celebrate as his salvation history every time we come together in worship. And Isaiah never wanted us to be enamored of an icon of him. Isaiah didn't want us to reverence a statue or a picture of him. Isaiah didn't even want us to revel in a silver screen image of him. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Isaiah wanted us to know him, to believe in him, and finally give him to us so he will always find his rest in our hearts to live in us and through us for everyone we know. William Shakespeare is famous for writing All the World's a Stage and All the Men and Women Merely Players. I really like that when I consider where we are in God's play, which we know and live as life. You see, God's play starts with the infancy of creation as God's very word speaks it into being. The very ethics of the universe are played out on Mount Sinai with the most fantastic and terrifying scene with God Almighty thundering above, writing with his finger the very rules of godly living. Later, the prophets would proclaim, the armies would march, the cities would rebel and be vanquished and rebuilt again. Loved ones would be carried into captivity and brought back to civility. And in the center of it all would be a savior so divine, he would be unbelievable to some, persecuted by others, and finally murdered by the very ones he loved the most. Like Marcy and I say to each other all the time, you can't make this stuff up. But this salvation history and morality play would not end there. It took a third act that included you and me even to this day in our very meeting in this very place because this has always been and always will be Christ's story and he made us a part of his mission to tell his story to the world for the salvation of their souls. He wrote the manuscript for us to memorize and to show those whom he loves that have not seen him yet. He established the houses of worship where we sit in the peanut galleries to call out during the liturgies to be part of the immersive experience with him. He served himself through the bread, his very body, and the wine, his very blood, so we not only see him but also taste him and drink him in for the forgiveness of our sins. Then he reigns from that cross as the King of Kings in his eternal court where we are fed and nourished eternally and strengthened to go out on our own personal quest to herald him and bring the world in over and over again. And like a child's book, that has optional endings, we can endlessly choose reading the same story over and over again, we get a new play every day, a new episode with every friend, and a new way to see Jesus through every prayer. Every time we read his words aloud, listening to his life, living his life, and experiencing center stage we have the most amazing movie that's no movie at all. It's simply the greatest life only God could give and scene. Yeah, I guess there doesn't need to be a movie after all. For we are indeed writing his truth with the finger of his hand. Amen. Now, May that peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus always. Amen.